Is your business plan very unclear and you're tirelessly working at a low-paying career? Let's help you get out of the rut and let go of the fear. It's time to excel into the million-dollar stratosphere. Now, here's your host of The Balanced Millionaire, who will take you there, Eileen Mendel. from the Balanced Millionaire. Our show is designed and our mission is to inspire, empower, and educate business professionals to achieve higher levels in their lives and careers. Instead of stumbling and learning from the, we get a chance to learn from those who have already gotten there and passed those hurdles. So my guests are intellectually stimulating and thought-provoking, offering valuable tips to help you get ahead. If you would like to be a sponsor or guest on my show, contact me at Eileen at TheBalancedMillionaire.com. And of course, you can always connect with me on Facebook or LinkedIn at The Balanced Millionaire. So let's get on with our show now. Let me tell you about our guest today. His name is Luke Peters. Luke is a self-made entrepreneur, founder of five companies. He's skilled at taking a product from concept to high volume sales at Home Depot, Lowe's, Wayfair, Walmart, and Amazon. President and CEO of Retail Brand, Luke is an expert R commerce agency that works with select brands. His company works with select brands to manage and accelerate their online business on retailer platforms such as Best Buy, Home Depot, Lowe's, Wayfair, and Walmart. He's also host of Page One, a podcast that he runs twice weekly, featuring a variety of guests and thought leaders on topics ranging from channel strategy, tariffs, influencer marketing, product launches, and the details about how to grow e-commerce with big box retailers. President and CEO of his own company called New Ear Appliances, which incorporated, which Inc. Magazine ranked as one of the best growing, fastest growing companies, private companies um, in the category of internet retailers in America for three consecutive years. He's also president and CEO of Luna Comfort, a manufacturer of beautifully designed portable home appliances available at major retailers. He's a former swimming pool service business owner and hazard waste scientist. And now he is a very successful business owner. So, Luke, welcome to our show. Thanks for having me. That was more than a generous intro. So thanks for that, Eileen, and um, excited to have this conversation. Oh, you're welcome, Luke. So, Luke, um, tell us how you got to where you are. What got you there from the very beginning. I know um, you started a while back and um, you didn't even know that that what you thought was maybe a hobby or something on the side was going to become the full-time business. So tell us a little bit more about that. 
Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a big question. What got me where I am? So, um, you know, I mean, just kind of going all the way back, like quickly in my family, we've always been, um, you know, just an entrepreneurial family. And uh, just from childhood, uh, parents had a donut shop, kids worked in the donut shop, we delivered newspapers. So we just always worked and learned that growing up and, and um, just always grinded through things, learned not to complain, but to work instead. And through um, college, um, as you mentioned, I had a swimming pool business and, and paid for, for you know, college and all my expenses at that time. And then I went to work for the government as a hazardous waste scientist after college, um, earned a microbiology degree. But, you know, there wasn't, it just wasn't as um, dynamic, let's say, and fast moving as I wanted. So I guess what got me here was, you know, I kind of got bored and I, I like to stay busy and I like to experiment. And um, I think just that that's kind of the theme all the way through. So started, we basically just started the company with my wife just from scratch and through, you know, many years of experimenting and hard work, plenty of mistakes along the way, um, you know, that that's... You know, continue, the businesses continue to grow, and that's where we stand now. So that's the, the quick, but there's obviously lots of details that we can dive into through that journey. Well, uh, when you first started, what did the business look like, and what does it look like today? So people get a feel for your journey. Sure. Well, this knows. Yeah. So when we first started, it was. It was, uh, you know, I mean, it was, it was like probably any other startup, not that organized. And I mean, listen, I didn't even know what a purchase order was when we started. I didn't know anything about the industry. I just started it because my little brother was um, selling laptop batteries online and making a lot of money. And I thought, man, I'm driving a beat up truck all the way, you know, an hour and a half commute each way. There's, there's got to be a better way. And, and I just started the business and didn't know anything. Just called the Granger and started um, buying products and, and listing them online and selling it. So this is around 2001. And uh, it was a great time to start um, an online business then. And it was out of a garage. And we just built all our systems along the way and just pretty much worked, you know, 12 plus hours a day to get it going. And we, we moved. So and then what it looks like now. So along that journey, we've moved to six different warehouses. So we just kept growing, growing out of warehouse space and uh, moving along. And now we've got, you know, 50 plus employees, um, some outsourced um uh, capabilities and, and positions. Um, we have every department that you might think um, a wholesale manufacturer like ours would have, a wholesale brand, um, you know, the finance, marketing, sales, uh, HR, and, and you know, um, all the ops and supply chain and logistics. So it's a really diverse company right now. We're able to do a lot of different things. We have to be really good um, working with factories, uh, mostly in China, and we have to have um, understand all the QC and regulations. We have to know all of that. We have to be able to bring the product in and handle all the logistics. Um, we have a 115,000 square foot warehouse plus some 3PL space. And then once we get it in, we have to you know, understand all the marketing and the sales process and how to bring a product to life. Um, and then we've got to collect the money. So we have, we have all of those functions and which we, none of them we had at the beginning. And then also for the first 10 or 11 years of the company, it was, it was really a dot com. We were really direct to consumer. And then around 2012, 2013, we made a big pivot and we kind of um, focused in on the brand and sold more to the big box retailers online. So it's a big change. Um, you have to bring it, you know, you have to have, create a sales team. We never had a sales team before because it was direct to consumer. And then you have to uh, create um, a little more rigor on the finance side. So the, 
that again. So it's like a whole new company the last five years, really. And then we still do the direct-to-consumer, um, but it's a smaller piece. And we're really focused on building our relationships with our retail partners. Um, so, yeah, the company keeps changing, you know. And um, I, I think it's the same with every company as you as you grow and you add people and, and uh, you expand in the new markets. And then just along the way, that, that's where I kind of came up with the new business retail band because we're so good at um, – understanding these online marketplaces, meaning like selling into Wayfair.com, Home Depot.com, Walmart.com. And I noticed a lot of folks know the in-store, but they don't really understand the online. So now we've got this new business where we can help run their online business as well and just make life easy for them, become their sales and marketing team. So those that's like an outgrowth of the uh, new air company. Well, it's interesting. Um, so back then in 2001, I think Amazon was just a small company back then. Or I know, I think I know eBay existed. What was the status of Amazon? I mean, because I would have been one of the early competitors. Yeah, exactly. So, so what happened was Amazon has been around the whole time, and um, I, I'm tr- I, I don't know the exact date, but I want to say 2002, maybe even 2003, somewhere in that area is when they created the marketplace concept. So I remember that because we were, you know, even at that time, people were, were saying to themselves, wow, you know, if we do this, we're helping Amazon kind of take over the world. <laughs> it's funny. I, I remember that, you know, and that's 15 years ago now. But um, that's kind of was the feeling then when they created this marketplace, which you know, seems so obvious nowadays, but they were the ones that kind of created it where anybody could list and sell a product and Amazon didn't even have to inventory that product. And you didn't even have to have a vendor account, right? This is on the seller side. So Amazon, yeah. So they were always a player and always a competitor, um, but not to the scale they are now. And back then the major difference was all of the other retailers didn't have any visibility and they weren't good at SEO. So um, meaning we pretty much could dominate the SEO rankings along with a couple of our competitors. We were always on page one. And then around, you know, the reason I made the, the change for New Air, um, our brand, the reason we went to this wholesale model was around 2012, 2013, it was apparent that the big box retailers were getting uh, involved online, right? So instead of just competing with Amazon and a couple of smaller competitors, you're now competing with Home Depot for rankings and, and advertising dollars, by the way. You're competing with Walmart and everybody else. So all of the Google um, PPC ad spend um, costs started going up. Customer retention it became harder. I mean, it's kind of the world we're in now. It's, it's really hard to run a direct-to-consumer um, business. Um, I mean, there's plenty of opportunities. I'm just saying it was, well, how about this? It's, it was a lot easier back then, and it's become much that's, more difficult. That's what I was going to ask you, um, because yeah, nowadays, if you're trying to run, like you said, even if it's a niche um, you know, could be stamp collecting or whatever. Um, it's still competitive out there because anybody right now can start a, a URL and, you know, start getting their stuff up there. And and some people have already been doing this for years like you've been doing. So, yeah, so um, right now, if anybody's thinking about going into a sort, this sort of business and maybe, like you said, you know, you've niched yourself into the um, small appliances uh, or the home appliances, what can you tell those people who may want to emulate what you've done, but do it now? Yeah. I mean, you can, you still can do it. You know, it's, it's the thing is you, um, it, it's, 
I mean, you, you kind of just have to take a uh, historical perspective. I mean, business is always going to be difficult, right? There, there's all, I mean, where there's a lot of incentive and where there's a lot of um, profit potential, there's going to be a lot of competition. So, you know, you can go back in time, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years. I mean, it's, everybody's going to always say the same thing, how difficult it is, but there's all, you can't really take that approach. What you have to do is, you know, there's advantages to being small and there's um, advantages to being big. So obviously when you're bigger, you have scale and you have uh, a network and you have capabilities, but when you're small, you have a very low um, cost structure. So, you know, margins aren't as important, volume's not as important. So you can get into areas that some of the larger companies don't care about. So trust me, there's, there's plenty of opportunities, but I mean, specific, if somebody was coming in with appliances, I mean, the challenge there is, you know, look, we have, you know, there's a physical investment, there's a capital investment there. And so that's probably not the easiest place for somebody to start. But um, because back when I started, it was easy to drop ship. And, and now that has become uh, less, uh, you know, of an option. I mean, it's still an option, but most manufacturers aren't, you know, I'm not interested in, in signing somebody on to drop ship and disrupt the market. And back then, channel conflict wasn't a big deal. Now it is. So there's been some changes in the industry, but um, there's still tons of services and um, and you know, software products and even physical products. So I mean, it's it's as wide open as it ever as, as it has ever been. Honestly, um, it's just that it's for different categories. So what were some of the challenges? Um, you know, because I would imagine you'd have to build up like you know software and you know, have enterprise-wide software. So what were some of those, cha- I mean, back then the software was not what it is today and just record keeping, all that stuff that um, you had to do that today, you know, we take for granted that, you know, this software might be available. But back in 2001, like you said, you know, you were one of the early, um, you know, the early players in this whole field of, you know, distribution and, um, you know, getting, uh, you know, niching into, you know, this um, area where you were doing, you know, branding online. So what were some of those hurdles that you had to jump over? Yeah, that, that's a great, great question, by the way, because people don't think about that exact uh, question you asked. Um, back when we started, there wasn't an easy ERP system. And, you know, right now, we've got an ERP that, you know, basically run the whole business on. But back then there weren't a lot of options or you had to go to, you know, I don't even know what what would have been available, but something like an SAP or whatever, something bigger and clumsier, but there wasn't anything, um, uh, you know, that was cloud-based. And so that's for running the business. And then there wasn't a platform operationally and there wasn't a platform that you would then connect in with all of the channels so some of that may not make sense, but let me just explain quickly what I mean. Okay. What I mean is that now people will just get a Shopify site. By the way, I mean, that, that's why it's as easy as it's ever been. You can just get a Shopify site. They make it so easy. The plugins are great. Um, you're able to immediately go sell into Amazon and all these channels right through Shopify. Well, that wasn't available. Um, the first company that came along and did that, you know, one of the first, but it is probably a company like Channel Advisor, they're really expensive to work with. And so those were some of the obstacles that people had back then. It was like you, you pay them or you manage it yourself. And if you pay them, you're going to pay a lot of money, tens of thousands, you know, 20, 30, 40,000, depending on the size of your account and even much higher, just to run your and, and handle your um, Amazon 
and operation and tie into your backend systems for shipping and fulfillment. So I'm getting, I'm probably getting too much in the weeds on the operation side, but let's just say that in order to run a good system, you need to have the order flow all the way through your system out to your shipping. Um, and it, it, like we're doing all the fulfillment ourselves. So we're acting like a three PL and you can't have, or you have to limit the amount of paper and the amount of clicks that everybody's doing. Otherwise it's going to become uh, too resource heavy. So what we did is we built our own system and we had that for the first, um, up until earlier this year, believe it or not, we had our own uh, homegrown system for all these years, uh, kept adding on to it. It uh, managed all of our websites, managed all of our operations. It was a great system, very, very fast. And I don't know, I kick myself because, because sometimes along the way I, I thought, uh, you know, we should have taken it to market, but taking it to market would have been a whole nother, we weren't equipped to do it, but um, we definitely had a really good system before a lot of um, the current systems were even out. Well, yeah, you could, you could have actually uh, made an off-the-shelf kind of system that other, but then again, those other people would have been sort of competitors or could have been competitors to you if you just sold the software. So yeah, it's you know it would have been you know an interesting way to make a little bit of, you know more money. But you don't know what the outcome would have been. So, yeah. so, so at know, that point, you know, at that point, um, you decided to keep it in house and, and proprietary. Then, yeah, and it's and I mean it's a big world. So I I think we never really looked too much into the into the competitive side in the sense that if you help somebody, um, you know, they might be they might be selling different products. It's it's so funny that you could almost give away the keys to your business and people will usually not take the advice or the direction because they're used to doing things a certain way that they've learned how to do it. I, I've come to this conclusion after many years. When you start the business, sometimes you're worried about, oh man, what's so-and-so going to learn or are we going to teach somebody so much? And then later on you realize like, wow, this is a really complicated organism basically that's moving here. And and it's really hard for someone to just come in and copy it. And and, and some of the things we're doing are very special and and um, even telling someone to do these things and they don't do it just because they're used to their ways and habits. Uh, it, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. Now, uh, Luke, have you ever thought about writing a book about you know, how to get um, a business like yours up and running or to, um, to help those who may want to you know, get their own um, distribution site and, you know, be a player in, in this in this industry, or um, or, or even tell about yeah. your own story. Yeah, no, I have, I have. I just haven't gotten around. It's like, you know, it's 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 time consuming, and I um, just been running the business, and and then I just you know started another one. So it's like I got my hands full, but it's definitely something on the radar. Uh, I think it would be fun just to tell the story in general. I just think there's just a lot of fun things that we've done, and I read a lot of business books, and I actually enjoy the ones that are. More about the stories and how you know just regular companies like ours had to kind of you know find their ways through different challenges. So uh, definitely thought about it. I uh, just ha haven't gotten down to it. And uh, you know it's it's it would be a lot of time, and I would want to do a very good job. So I just haven't had the chance. So uh, what were some of the other challenges that you had? I would imagine that. Um, because you know, the, uh, the uh, online stores, like you said, were just coming into being when you started getting the technology, getting everything 
like you said, running smoothly, you'd have to have the right employees to 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 learn the business and to you know operate so that everything flowed and everything got shipped on time. Was that a challenge to find you know employees that were on the cutting edge of understanding how this whole online business was working? And yeah, yeah. I mean, it, well, here's the thing. You know, I didn't have. I don't have an MBA. You know, I'm like trained in the natural sciences. So, although I, you know, I had a lot of entrepreneurial um, experience growing up, but I didn't have that formal MBA, formal business training. So, I had to learn a lot of these things along the way, and have made plenty of mistakes. Trust me. And um, hiring. I mean, what you learn later on is hiring the best employees is pretty much the most important thing you can do. I mean, all the big companies have this figured out, by the way, and that's why there's always a battle for the best talent. And that's why when you're small, you can never really afford the best people. And, you, you know, you're kind of in a, you're in a bit of a vacuum though, when you start a business because you just, your head is down and you're just working so hard and you're not um, out there gathering in all this information. And you often don't have like a big network at the beginning. Okay. Yes. And then, right. And then as you grow it, okay, then you get a network and you start seeing what your friends' companies are doing and you understand the ones that are moving are usually the ones that have really, really good people in place. And then, you know, eventually you get smart and you start bringing in those really, you know, the, the higher level people at certain positions. But at the same time, what we've been really fortunate here with New Air is we've got some unbelievable people, even from the very beginning. And they've grown with the company and they've learned so much and been promoted up. And um, in, in some cases, that's even better because then what you have is you have somebody that really, um, you know, has the values of the company built into them, you know, cause they've yes. lived, the, they, they've, they've created those values really. It's come from the whole company. And so we've got a mix. So we're really fortunate. You know, we've got plenty of people over 10 years, uh, plenty of people over five years, and then also um, a newer um, group of executives that we've brought in recently in the last couple of years, just as the, um, as we've been, you know, repositioning the company and, and going after these um, larger retailers. So, uh, very blessed to kind of have a, a range and all, but still to have people who have been here, you know, since pretty much since the beginning. Which is great. There's, so there's a lot of loyalty because they've, you know, they've seen the company grow and I'm sure, you know, you've promoted them. They see the rewards coming in, you know, um, both personally and professionally because they're learning something that's, you know, um, you know, at the cutting edge in terms of uh, the Internet. So where do you think the internet is going? I mean, as far as um, retail, online, you know, what's what are some of the things that we could look forward to in the future? Because I'm sure you're also working on some product development and, and um, some other branding techniques. And, you know, you probably keep on top of that. Can you share that sure. with our audience? Sure. So, so. Again, a lot of different directions we can go on that one, but um, you know, obviously Amazon is gaining a lot of market share. And uh, but what people are still forgetting about the other channels out there, and there will be disruption. You know, we don't know when it's going to happen. Who knows? Maybe Amazon will keep going this way for the next five years. I mean, <clears throat> I mean that's a long time, so people pretty much have to plan for that. Yes. And and not worry about what's going to happen in ten years. We're all running businesses right now. But what's happening is. The other players are, are growing too. Target, Walmart, uh, Home Depot, Wayfair. Um, what we've noticed is a lot of folks don't know how to run those accounts. 
Uh, they do know how to run Amazon. The reason everybody ends up learning how to run Amazon is because it's an imperative to learn how to do it. And number two, because there's a lot of information out there and education out there on it. You just start searching and you're going to find tons of agencies out there positioned to help and they're creating all kinds of content. Um, so the first answer I would say to your question is um, what I see happening is uh, a lack of investment in understanding how to run these other marketplaces and they're big. When you combine where your sales could be with Wayfair, Home Depot, Lowe's and all the, those other retailers, you know, Target, Bed Bath, keep going, they, they combined should and could be bigger than Amazon. I mean, they should be. And, but I mean, unless you're like a technology product or you're, you're, you're a really small product, but if you're talking about, you know, if your um, average uh, sale price is, let's say over 50 bucks in most categories, housewares and hardwares and um, onto other home categories, it, you're going to find a lot of options outside of Amazon. Not uh, Amazon still probably be the biggest, so what happens is people aren't investing in understanding. For example, you go to an Amazon listing, you're going to see great content, great reviews. People have invested in it. It's competitive. They have to because all of their competitors are doing this. And then you go to the analogous listing on another retailer and the, the, the content's not that good. It's different images. And, and you scratch your head and you say, why aren't they using the same images? And there's a lot of reasons for that. One of them just being that they may not understand that other platform. So that's the first thing that I see. And by the way, that that's... Again, why you know, we started the company, Retail Band, because we can literally go out there and run their business doing that. And um, and that's kind of how the response has been. People are like, oh my gosh, yeah, that totally makes sense. And, and they're interested in this service because they didn't realize that there was another um, option for to get some help. And it's the same thing where Amazon was five or seven years ago. There wasn't a lot of industry knowledge in how to run an Amazon account. Now there's tons of it. You know, these, these employees are all over the place because companies have invested a lot of time and trained a lot of people. And that'll probably be the same thing for Home Depot and Lowe's down the road. But, but as it stands, that's kind of the current environment. And then, um, so that's comment one of where it's going. And then uh, part two is like, as far as product development, um, you just have to keep get, developing better and better products because the, you know, with reviews out there, consumers can, you know, they're going to figure out where the good and the bad products are. And so having really good relationships with factories and understanding consumer demands and wants and developing the right features for the consumer is just going to become more and more important. And it's just accelerating with how quickly products are coming out. Yeah, it's just amazing. And like you said, uh, not all the products that are available are available on Amazon. So, yeah, I when I'm searching for something – I'll, I'll jump around at different sites and compare prices. And, you know, there, there's it's just so much easier to make comparisons. And like you said, the quality of the site also tells you whether you want to work, you know, with the the owner of that site, you know, because you don't know whether they're reliable and going to send you the um, the product, you know, in a timely fashion. And yep. if, if it's going to be, you know, sent um, also uh, wrapped correctly or, even um, whether they're going to, you know, um, be able to, um, you know, uh, give you a quality, a pro- quality product, even though it sounds like a quality product on their website. So there's a lot of, you know, things that um, you don't know, like you said, um, where you're going to buy the product. You have to do, you know, it's making the consumer do a lot of research um, because there's so many choices out there and um, so much competition. 
And so there's has got, there's got to be a way, you know, I know there's uh, some rating systems, you know, like Amazon uses rating systems for the, some of the vendors, but um, how, you know, maybe we should uh, take a break and I want to find out how one knows like they're getting the best deal, but let's take a break uh, for the moment and uh, we'll come right back. And we're here with Luke Peters. And so stay with us. Former highly paid corporate insider and expert in scaling businesses for over three decades. Eileen Mindell is a serial entrepreneur business consultant, renowned speaker, and author. Tune into The Balanced Millionaire on bbsradio.com weekly on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Central, and 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to learn the secrets to working fewer hours and achieving financial breakthroughs, increased revenue, and prosperity while maintaining personal and professional balance and harmony. You can also hear us on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Spotify. To schedule a private consultation about your business, call or text 760-450-6133 or visit inneredgeinternational.com. 760-450-6133 or visit inneredgeinternational.com. We're back. Welcome back to our show with Luke Peters, President and CEO of New Air Appliances and President and CEO of Luma Comfort, a manufacturer of beautifully designed portable home appliances. So, Luke, tell us a little bit more about the challenges today with having all these players um, developing, you know, like you said, the box stores. Amazon, um, your company, I mean, there's all these sites for consumers to buy a product and they have to do a lot of research, a lot of work you know, out there like, I'm going to look at this site, I'm going to look at that site. Sometimes it takes me a day or two to make my decisions where to buy my product that I'm looking for. So what's going on with that? What's How, how do you uh, perceive these challenges and what are you doing as a company to, you know, let the company, let the consumer know, like, you know, this is the place you want to buy? <laughs> yeah, sure. Another, another good question. So, I mean, the first thing to think about is that, that the customer purchasing cycle is often longer than we even think it is. Uh, meaning, um, I mean, on one of our products, if somebody's buying a wine cooler, I mean, they may be looking for months. Now, they may really intently be looking for a day or two or three, but it could have started months ago. They could have thought about it. They could have done a couple searches and then they kind of put it in the back of their mind. Then they did a few more searches. Then they talked to some friends. And uh, I mean, I'd say seven or eight years ago, there's a great book uh, from Google called, uh, I think it was called the zero moment of truth. And it kind of played off Procter and Gamble's first and second moments of truth, which is part of their marketing and in really what they want to, they want the customer to experience in the first moment of truth when they see the package in the store. And now Google said, well, there's a zero moment of truth. There's, there's a moment before the consumer even sees the package in the store. 
And um, it, when you read it, it's amazing to really think about this and, and what, you know, how Procter & Gamble was doing branding and marketing and now how Google's thinking about it. It's a really short book, by the way, and it's, I don't think it's outdated, even though it's, it's a couple years old, but it's, it's really, um, uh, it kind of talks to that point. And then it talks about the customer um, journey and how long it takes. And if, when we're selling something, we never, we don't often think about that. We think, okay, you know, they woke up, they looked over maybe a couple days and they made a purchase. That's really not the case. They're, they're, they're really planning these purchases out. We're all thinking about these things for a long time. We're researching, we're talking to friends. Okay. So now with all that said, you think about all of those things, it means that there's multiple touch points. It means that you can um, affect that customer decision along many different um, pathways. And you don't have to do it on every pathway, by the way. You could be really good on one of them, like Facebook. Or, you know, you could be all over the place. Um, and that's what you would do with really good branding. So how we think about it is uh, making sure we're telling, uh, you know, the product story and our customer stories, by the way. And using social media, um, using great imagery and, and um, sales collateral, great content, blogs, uh, YouTube videos. So we're doing all of these things. And actually something that's really worked well for us is doing influencer marketing. So we're working with influencers. They're creating authentic uh, YouTube videos and Instagram posts. And you can see some of it um, over um, on our uh, newer Instagram or uh, YouTube. And, and then literally that's what I put into the new business with retail band, because we want to be able to, we can now do that for other companies and people don't think about it. They think it's only in the fashion space. Uh, you can have, you know, a hardware product and, and get, uh, influencers and, uh, you know, home remodelers and so on and so forth to, to, uh, really, uh, honestly review and install a product. And it, it's goes so much further with the consumer. So anyways, to your question, when you're thinking about getting in front and the, you're right, the consumer has uh, so many choices. So what you want to do, if possible, in a best case scenario is you want to be top of mind to the consumer and you have to think about how you do that. So you want to be, uh, you, you have to be at the top of the funnel. So you have to be ed educational. You have to create that type of content that's going to be, create that awareness at the very top of the funnel. And then you have to, uh, you know, create content or engagement points all the way along down to the bottom of the funnel where they're making their decision. And that's probably going to mean that you're going to have good reviews, uh, good product information, a good price point. Okay. So you have to cover all of those bases. And then, you know, 10 years ago, you only had to cover those bases on Google. And now you have to cover those bases kind of to your point on many other platforms. And so you just have to choose, you know, where you want to play and, and where you're best at, and then, you know, kind of, go to war in those areas. So for us, you know, we're really good on um, the influencer marketing, the YouTube videos, uh, the content, the, uh, the collateral and imagery and reviews. So a lot of those fronts we're really good at. And then some of the other areas we've, uh, you know, it, they, they haven't been areas that we've heavily invested in. And so you just have to kind of pick and choose the areas and go really, really hard at them. And it's also, it also takes a bigger and bigger budget these days to, um, to make something that's interesting because people's attention spans are so short. <laughs> yep. Yep. Exactly. I mean, you can do, like I said at the beginning, even if you're a one person show, you still can do it though, because you know, you don't need to make as much money obviously with no overhead. So it does cut both ways and that that's, that's what people have to keep in mind. Um, but yeah, a lot of things, I mean, it's expensive right now. I mean, the, who's making the most money is, you know, Facebook and Google and Amazon advertising. They're all making, you know, they're usually making more profit than 
uh, you know, the, the brand, honestly, like, you know, with their, the, with the sales revenue at the, or with their, their split of the marketing revenue. So they've, they've perfected that model. Um, Facebook used to be a lot easier a couple years ago and they've kind of tightened things down. So that used to be just three years ago or so, two years ago, it, it was the absolute best place. But now, you know, your audience is mostly off limits. You have to pay to, to kind of play at Facebook, but you know, there's other emerging companies coming in right now. So there, there's going to be others coming in that are, that are kind of taking advantage of that because a lot of brands are frustrated paying a lot on um, of ad spend. And, and frankly, that's one of the reasons why, you know, we like the wholesale model. Um, you know, the Home Depots and Lowe's of the world, they're great at customer acquisition. So partner with one of them, create a great product. Um, they, they're, they're wonderful at customer acquisition and customer retention. And, um, you know, the, it, that lowers the marketing budget for a brand. So that's, you know, that, that's why that model can be more sustainable than a direct consumer um, in a lot of cases. That's what, yeah, that's what I was thinking when you said that you switched over from direct to consumer to the wholesale. Talk, talk to us a little bit about how you first got into um, the wholesale market and um, how you how you grew that portion of your business, which is now the dominant, I guess it's the dominant portion of your business, working with this, these uh, big box store retailers. Yeah, I mean, you know, we did it just like anything else. So first, don't overplan. <laughs> That's the first thing. I think too many people just think too much, you know, too much thinking, not enough doing. And because uh, the thing is, the truth is, you don't know what you need to know. You, you have to get in there first to know what you need to know. And so a lot of times there's just too much thinking and worrying and, well, how am I going to, you know what? You just got to get in there. So we just got in. And um, basically what we did is, is at that time I started Luma Comfort and Luma Comfort was started as a test to get into those markets. So still kept the other brand running. And once we realized within like six months, they, most of these companies just rolled the red carpet out. They wanted our product and we immediately were receiving sales we knew how to do the content really good because we came from a direct-to-consumer background. Uh, so it went pretty quick. Um, but I think it went that way because, you know, I did, I did write a business plan, but it wasn't a very long business plan. And and I only had the luxury of writing that just because I had the, I already had a company up and running. So I did create a business plan because I had to have, you know, I worked with part of my team to execute this. But I'll say, you know, to your question, how did we do it? You know, we made phone calls. We got uh, – the buyers on the phone and we upload a product and we, and then we started understanding how all those platforms worked. Okay. How do you rank products? You know, what's it going to cost to be on this platform? How do we have to build our pricing? And we made plenty of mistakes. I mean, we built in the wrong pricing on platforms and we were unprofitable on a couple of them and then we had to fix it. You know, well, I can imagine. We, yeah. I mean, if we would have waited and tried to figure everything out, we would have never gotten started. So, uh, you know, plenty of mistakes along the way. That's why you should write a book. So other exactly. people trying to do this don't have to make the same mistakes. So right now you're in the um, more of the discount um, players, of, you know, like Best Buy or, um, you know, and of course the home, you know, home, um, what do they call it, home construction and, and DIY kind of um, markets like Home Depot and Lowe's and also um, – you know, a discount player like Wayfair or Walmart. What about um, other players like the clothing stores, like, um, you know, a Macy's or a Dillard's or, um, you know, some of those other uh, retailers, Nordstrom's, you know, that are out there. Have you um, 
decided to avoid them or is there one why are you picking one player over another i know you're 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 doing the um, niche into the appliance area but you could you can actually get into any area based on your software now yeah that that's true but you know we know our appliances really really well and we have great relationships in the industry and once you build out your supply chain and really strong in the factories um we definitely can go wider and we are in some of those other stores, you know, some of the ones that sell appliances, we're definitely in, in them. And so there's, there's two answers. Number one, we've only been doing this for five or six years. Uh, and so we're moving fast. I wish, I always wish we could be faster, but five or six years. So in another five or six years, we'll be in so many more of them. So what happens is your first couple of years, you know, you're, you're jumping into the bigger ones is, is kind of the usual approach. So that's one. And then number two is, um, yeah, we we like to you know we're definitely experimenting with tons of new SKUs. I mean, we're we're remaking our catalog by fifty percent this year. Lots of innovation, lots of fun SKUs, but we're going a little bit deeper into some of our existing categories just because we're really good there. Um, we know what works, and we're, we now that we're get, that we are getting deeper, we're able to add more value to the consumer because we are able to you know create and bring to life these new products that are more innovative and um, fun. So I think when you going wide is still something we will do and we are doing, but not as fast as going deep because I think you're able to really learn a category and um, also just provide more value to the customer and the buyers at these different stores um, just because you have more expertise in that area. And what about, um, do you do much business internationally? Have you translated a lot of your um, web uh online uh content so that you're doing business abroad or how do you get that business of um yeah let's say going to europe and um getting some of those as customers or do you bother with that yeah interesting good good question because i actually was just at um an icb conference which is uh, uh or ibc ibc it's international housewares um conference for um international sales and learned a ton and we have been going that direction. It's just that, you know, we've been growing quicker domestically. And now we are actually, uh, you know, aiming to get into some of these other areas. But it's it's not as easy as, as a non-electrical. So if I was selling like a dish, you know, just a plate, it's a lot easier. But then when you have electrical, um, there's there are a few more requirements. And we got our hands full with uh, all the new relationships here in the U.S. And we, we're in Canada and, and a few other um, areas. But... It's definitely an area that we're going to grow in the future. Um, it just takes a little bit more planning and because there's certain uh, requirements in, in the different uh, countries. So it sounds like there's a lot of opportunity ahead. Uh, what can we expect from your company, let's say, in the next three years? What can we expect to see? Sure. So, so what you'll see is you'll see, um, okay, so this Q4, for example, we're coming out with some really fun um, beer frosters. So you're going to see more fun and innovative product coming out. Uh, you know, just for example, it, it, first of all, it's great to have products like that because the team internally gets really excited, you know, when they get to do all the testing and the photo shoots and everything. But, you know, to have a product like that, it's just a great talking point. So we want to come up with more fun products like that, that buyers want, um, that more retailers want. And that's just one example. I can't let everything out of the bag. But so you're going to see more um, innovation of our products. 
and you're going to see more products in store. So we're working with major partners right now to secure more in-store deals and grow those partnerships. And then you'll see uh, more growth internationally, just like we talked about. So we're looking that direction. It, it, it's it's taking a lot of planning and pre-work, but Amazon does speed that up a little bit because they kind of have a, a platform for international. So they do make it easier. And that's you know just become available the last uh, year or two or three. So those are new developments, but those are those that that that's pretty much the the directions we're going, and I'm really excited about the future. And right now, you ship out of the central warehouse, which is located where? So we're in Cypress, California, which is um, in Orange County, Southern California. Uh, you know, about ten miles from the beach. And that real estate is probably expensive compared to maybe if you had a shipping center in the Midwest or and in a more less expensive area, yep. would that be a possibility for the future, getting another shipping uh, warehouse that might be in a location that's a lot where land and space is a lot cheaper? Yeah, yep. another good question. And I'll tell you a couple things about that. So first off, um, you know, most of our shipping comes out of here, but not all because we're, you know, fulfilling directly you know, direct imports into certain retailers. And so some retailers are just taking shipments directly. And, and so they're kind of solving that puzzle of getting product closer to the East coast, um, or they're taking it directly from our domestic inventory. Uh, and there, there's advantages to being near the coast because we're near a port and the container costs. So to your point, if we were in Kansas city center of the country, it would be actually a lot more expensive to do business uh, because of getting the container there. You have to decide, okay, which coast am I going to bring it to? So for example, if you bring a container from China to the East Coast, you're going to pay $1,000 or even $1,500 more per container just to land it there. And then you have to pay the drage and shipping costs to your warehouse. So that's why most of the distribution warehouses are initially set up on the coast. Now, of course, you know Wayfair and Amazon have put uh, you know big warehouses you know, throughout them all throughout the country, but it, the product has to land on the coast and you have to do, you have to model out what the expense is going to be. So, and then by the way, it's, it's, it's a great question you ask because a lot of people would, would just automatically say, wow, 70% of your customers are on the East coast. You should just put a warehouse on the East coast. Trust me, there's a lot more variables to that. You know, first of all, who's paying the shipping? I mean, a brand is not always paying their shipping. Sometimes a retail partner is, um, what's the cost to get it there? What's the cost of drayage? What's the cost of labor? What's the cost of 3PO? Can you do that uh, cost cheaper yourself? Are you measuring what your cost per package out the door is? So there's all these calculations. Um, and then what's the cost of not having that inventory next to you? I mean, there's some intrinsic value to be being able to touch and see it. So lots involved there. Uh, it's a big decision. Usually it's easier to make that decision if you've already got a West Coast base and then warehouse number two, three, and four then move out into these other uh, locales. Well, then, yeah, now um, my mind is just going crazy here because um, you have to have a lot of um, modeling or expertise in modeling. Is that something that you've developed yourself? Or do you, have you brought in some experts to help you model that whole process? Um, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's a good question. Yeah. Luckily here, we've got a lot of people that are really good at Excel at Excel. <laughs> I'm I'm okay. But then we have people far better than me. So 
they're able to, I mean, conceptually, it's not hard to come up with these, some of these models, you know, you just you put in your costs and you put in your variable and you're fixed. And, and it's really, a lot of it is, is you could do it, you know, back of a napkin if you wanted to, because a lot of it, it's more, what's more important is, do you actually understand the supply chain and, and your business and business in general? That that's a lot more important than just make than someone who can make a model because if they don't know all the inputs, then the model's never going to be right. So it's more about understanding, hey, what should be involved, and then of course from there, you know, creating that model. But yeah, we're 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 for. I mean, we do it all ourselves because it's it's just done on Excel. I think some most companies will do it, but um, you know, our our team is uh, really strong in Excel. So what can you um, tell our audience? that um, want to build this kind of business or something similar that they should, um, you know, I know you mentioned some, uh, some books. Um, what are some other things that they should learn, you know, because um, now there's more sophistication in this whole area. What are some of the things you recommend uh, for them to get up to speed quickly? Yeah. I mean, the be- well, there's a couple ways you could do it. So if somebody's coming in and they don't have this experience, um, work for somebody who's a really good mentor. I mean, that that's probably the first thing I would I would suggest because I think what happens is, is you know, a lot of, I mean, there, there's a mix of, of, of individual personalities out there. Some people just, you know, they want to, you know, work, working as a means to an end to, you know, do a, hang out on the weekend and do other things. And other people... It's they want to learn as much as they can. And I've seen them even in really young people. I've seen that the, that great characteristic. So I think the first thing is uh, work, do more than you're asked to do and learn that. That's probably the best place. I mean, there, there's a lot you can learn online. But the thing is that you really don't learn until you do. And the problem with that I see now is just too many people are just like watching YouTube and reading stuff, but they're not actually doing but the ones that are doing are, I mean, there's a lot of young, successful entrepreneurs. There's more young, successful entrepreneurs now. At least it seems that way. I don't have, you know, counts on this, obviously. But just, it just seems like there are more young, successful entrepreneurs than there's ever been. So it's definitely, uh, there's a fire burning out there of, of people that are really motivated to, to start and grow their businesses. Um, I've seen it grow on LinkedIn for sure. And the presence has grown there. Uh, and even in the um, government uh, employment data, like even I just looked at the data this morning, you know, and there's like something like 160,000 new jobs. And in one of the biggest growing sectors was, uh, I think, I, I forget what they call it, but it was, you know, professional services employment. So these are new, these really are new solopreneurs or entrepreneurs starting companies. Uh, so I think a lot of people are already doing it. And, and my advice would be, you know, is you just got to start doing rather than, uh, reading and thinking. I agree with you. Um, yeah, I see a lot of people, like you said, taking training courses, but then not utilizing the skills that they've you know, studied in those training courses or webinars. Um, do you think a lot of it, uh, because um, when you're young, you're more apt to take a risk that we're seeing, you know, perhaps um, the younger generation hopping in more than the middle-aged uh, group? Or what, yeah. what do you think that it is? Yeah, yeah, it could be. I just think now, like, you don't actually need as many resources to start a business. So, you know, 20 years ago, you couldn't do it until you had a ton of money saved up and you had to go get a physical location. And now anybody can do it anywhere. 
I mean, you get you could be 21 year old thought leaders out there now. So it's it's a it's a it's a fun world. So I actually think there's a ton. I mean, entrepreneur is now cliched. It's just too overused of a term now. Um, you know, everybody's turning into one. But I think it's great. And there's a lot of passion and books and people love to talk about it. Uh, I think, you know, for people who are starting, I think the biggest thing is that you do have to take risks. And I don't want it to sound corny because you do. But I think what happens is uh, it's not really about taking risks, but it's about you just have to let control. You can't be in control of everything at the beginning because you don't know what the results are going to be. You have to have some faith, basically, I guess is another way to say it. You have to put your time in. And, and hopefully you have a model or something proven, or you have mentors and you're grinding and gutting it out at the beginning, you're not getting any results. So that's why you have to have a lot of faith at the beginning to know that your efforts are eventually you're going to get results. And what you have to do is you have to look at it as basically you're trying to build up momentum. So when you're starting out in a a new venture, a new company, uh, what, what you're doing is, you know, you're trying to push that rock downhill and it's not moving the first couple months probably or even even into that but then slowly you start to tip that thing over and once it starts moving all of a sudden you know your business is going to pick up and you're going to think wow you know I'm finally doing something right but that's not the case it's it's kind of all that time you previously put in that's finally paying off and and that's another lesson that I think you know most business owners will tell you is 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 you know if they take their foot off the pedal you're going to see that 6 or 8 months down the road Um, and if you're having a great month, it's not because of things you did that month. It's things you did, you know, three, five, six or eight months prior to that. So it's the same thing when you're starting a new company. And you also mentioned, uh, developing networks. Have you, um, found that certain networking or spending your time on certain networks, um, can be valuable and what kind of networks, you know, for the industry that you're in, should one be involved with? Yeah. Is it you know, groups I mean, on LinkedIn or what, what's going to give them the right connections? Because you were able to get into these big box stores. Obviously, you found the right people to talk to. Um, how do you find those people? How do you dig dig deep and look for the right people that are going to connect you to, the, to those people that are going to move your business, help you move your business? Yep, yep. I, listen, I think it, it's funny. A lot of, uh, and I true, tru- truthfully so, and, and correctly so. I think you know a common phrase is, uh, "Your network is your net worth." But I also think that for new entrepreneurs, you can't rely on your network. I think it cuts both ways because the thing is, your network is valuable when you have experience, because people you're introduced to can understand that you've, you can also add value to them, and you have experience. But if someone is brand new starting out, they're going to have to kind of, they got to make it on their own first is, is really my belief. Now, absolutely use all the connections you have. But at the end of the day, what you realize is you can't get, you know, upset that you didn't, that someone, you know, didn't create an opportunity or buy from you. I mean, you got to make that happen yourself. And later on, because I think what happens is it, it like I said, it cuts both ways. And I think it, it, it can turn into like those annoying networking groups and sessions where everybody's just trying to sell themselves. And real networking is not like that. I mean, the real net where the value is, is where you're helping your friends. You know, you're helping them without asking for anything in return in a really strong network. And 
when you have a strong network like that and you're, you're helping them, you're making introductions, it's not, uh, you know, I did this, now I need something, which is kind of like a lot of the lower level networking organizations seem like they're had, they are kind of that set up that way. So I'm kind of giving, you know, a bifurcated answer here. I think, I think, I guess the point of it is build your network, but make sure you're adding value and you're, and you're helping people and you're going above and beyond. And then you're, you're going to build a great network because they know what kind of person you are. That's good advice. We're running out of time. Is there one other thing that you would like to tell our audience before we say goodbye to you or, um, so that they can build their own businesses or help them to learn uh, what's essential to build their businesses? Yeah, I think, you know, that everybody should, t- you know, if given the opportunity financially, if they're able to, you, just, you should just take that opportunity and take a leap of faith if you're looking to start a business and, um, and realize it's going to be, you know, five times harder than working for somebody else. <laughs> okay. It cuts both ways. And too often, you know, uh, I think that extra effort isn't given, but that's what it takes, especially at the beginning. And I honestly think most people have it in them. I mean, I'm, I'm just like an average guy, honestly, you know, and, and it's not like I went to Harvard or anything. So, and, and at plenty of my friends, a lot of my friends have businesses and I think that overwhelmingly it's because, you know, they have conviction and they have confidence that they can go out and do it. And they really, really hard workers and they just never turn the lights out. That, that matters a lot more than, you know, some of these other intangibles. So that, that that's what I would offer as advice. And, um, I think that, uh, there's such a good opportunity right now and to look on, you know, the positive and bright side of all the opportunities that are out there instead of kind of focusing on the competition and, um, everything that you see on social media. Thank you so much for being on our show. That's great advice. And, um, again, um, Luke Peters is with me from new Air. And it's a way to reach uh, Luke Peters if you want to connect with him. Uh, what? Uh, how would they connect with you, Luke? Yeah, and I think, well, another great resource is if your listeners want to check out my page one podcast uh, with the number one, page one. And we talk about all of these things, and I go really, really deep into all of these retail channels. So it could be um, some, hopefully some helpful educational information. And, and I can easily be reached on LinkedIn at Luke Peters. Well, thank you so much for being on our show today. It's been enjoyable and very interesting. Thank you, Eileen. You're welcome. Thank you for tuning into The Balanced Millionaire with your host, Eileen Mendel, CEO of InnerEdge International, business consultant, multimedia marketing expert, renowned speaker and author. Connect with Eileen Mendel, The Balanced Millionaire. Increase your confidence, creativity, balance, awareness, direction, motivation, and catapult your business to the next level and beyond.